This is an Equity Beats Media podcast. Here we go. Money conversations in early stages of relationships are difficult. I compromise all the time. We face harder choices. We got the house. No, my mother said, when you get older, I wish you'd hurry and get older so that you would settle down and marry a rich man. And I said, Mom, I am a rich man. Hello and welcome to the very first episode ever of Meet, Pay, Love. I'm Carmel and I'm recording with my sister Zoe. Hello. And this podcast is all about money and relationships, all the tough questions that no one really talks about. The taboo subjects in society that we've never really discussed, if you will. We'd like to start off by acknowledging the traditional custodians of the land in which we are recording and listening to this podcast on. We want to acknowledge the elders, past, present and emerging. So I'm Carmel. I'm 26. I'm a lawyer in the area of property law. I'm in a four year relationship with my partner. We own a house together and we have a little dog. And I am Zoe. I'm Carmel's little sister. I'm 24 years old. I work in digital marketing. I've been with my partner for, I think, about two years now. and We've been living together for six months. We kind of moved in because of uh, the COVID situation. And we adopted a little kitten. His name is Dumpling. So you can tell maybe from our little introductions that we are not financial experts. Not at all. And we're not relationship experts. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) But what we are going to do during this podcast is throw over the tough questions to people who are experts in these areas. So have you ever wondered you wanted to buy a house with your partner, but one of you has a lot more in savings than the other? Or when's a good time to join a bank account or move in together? Who pays for what during the course of a relationship? Who pays for the check at the start and who pays for the divorce at the end? What are some red flags to look out for that you should say, mm-mm, no, I'm not dating you anymore? Not interested. So the reason we wanted to start this podcast is because one in five relationships end because of money issues. And I think for both Carmel and I, we um, started having a few chats with our friendship groups about money and that sort of stuff. And we've realized that a lot of it is not really talked about. And as soon as I started bringing up the questions of, hey, do you guys invest much? Or, hey, does one of you in the relationship pay for rent more than the other if one earns more than the other? And my friends all started saying, oh my gosh, yes, I want to talk about this, but we've never really done it. And it seems to be more common amongst my male friends that they might have an inbox that they discuss their stock picks or I've seen on the Equity Mates Facebook page that a lot of my guy friends are in it, but not necessarily my girlfriends. Yeah, and with my friendship group, I guess we're a bit more... Don't have as much disposable income going around. We're either casual workers, part-time workers, or just starting our full-time career. And I used to bring up the conversation of money and walk away from it being like, oh, I shouldn't have said that. You might feel feel a bit embarrassed. Yeah, a bit embarrassed, a bit guilty, when really we should be regulating the conversation and normalizing it within our friendship groups. I think so too, and particularly in relationships like... According to Elle magazine, 42% of Australians still feel that topic of money is taboo. It's almost like we'd rather talk about sex and politics and start fights or make people feel uncomfortable. And 43% of Australians in committed relationships aren't regularly talking openly about their financial situation, according to a study done by Westpac. I guess for you and Peter, because you've bought a house together, you'd be talking regularly about finance. Well, I always push the subject. <laughs> Pete, Pete's been money, imposing money, 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 money. <laughs> Pete's been imposing money-free days where we don't talk about it. <laughs> See, I guess with Ollie and I, we just kind of 
it's not something huge that we talk about, but it's not taboo either. So today, this first episode, we're going to be drilling into the issue of de facto relationships because de facto relationships are on the rise. To be honest, I never knew what a de facto relationship was until we started this podcast and I'm not sure that many people do. And when I decided to ask a few friends of mine, they didn't know what it was either. Uh, We've recorded what they've said and here we are. Hi, my name is Wendy. I'm a doctor. We've been dating for almost two years. Mm, My name is Jake. I'm a psychology student, um, just graduated, and we've been dating for what Wendy said. (laughs) (laughs) So as far as I understand what a de facto relationship is, it's you're living together for a certain amount of time. Um, It's a uh, like monogamous relationship um, and uh, yeah you live together you, you, you slam like and you know, I guess you support each other financially yeah I wasn't too concerned about being in a de facto relationship the only thing is because Jake is looking for a full-time job and so I was just wondering if it would affect his Centrelink payments um, I, I didn't really think about being a de facto relationship before I moved in I mean I'm pretty relaxed I just sort of go into it just (laughs) hoping for the best not really thinking about too much I'm just living with my best friend god they're good thank you Wendy and Jake for being a part of this our very first episode I really identified with what Jake said about how I'm pretty relaxed like most people go into a relationship thinking that it's going to work out otherwise you know what are you doing it's funny though that Jake said that his understanding of it of a de facto relationship is after being together for a certain amount of time. I feel like that's most people's understanding. Like they've only really heard the word de facto whispered behind them by society, but it's never been brought to the front or they've seen it on the news and someone's got some sort of right to something. Yeah. Or it's mentioned in a movie or popular culture, but no one really knows what it means and uh, how that impacts on your legal rights. Yeah. It's such a broad understanding. And it's like, we need to know about the certain amount of time and being specific and the specific ruling. Um, so now we're going to throw to an interview. We're really, really lucky and excited to have Satbir Singh. He's a senior family lawyer from Coulter Roach. He practices in Geelong and Melbourne, and he is an expert in this area. He's been a finalist in the Australian 30 Under 30 Awards, and he's also been recognised as a rising star in the Doyle's Guide for his work in family law. Can we start off by, um, if you can explain for us, what is a de facto relationship? That's a very good question, Carmel, because um, a lot of people don't realise what a de facto relationship is, and it's quite often a term used by lawyers and academics, and a lot of people don't realise it applies to them. Loosely speaking, a de facto relationship is a relationship of a period of about two years um, of cohabitation. So when you're living together for two years, you're technically classified as being in a de facto relationship. It's an important term to, to know because your legal rights change when you're in a de facto relationship um, and you're no longer loosely considered a boyfriend and girlfriend, but you're considered de facto's. Is it only living together that you can be a de facto relationship or can you be together for like a couple years? That is an excellent question and that is one where a lot of case law has been written and a lot of people have had a lot of arguments about. Um, there have been a number of cases where people have been considered to be in a de facto relationship for a period of less than two years living together. Um, And what often changes that is if you have children, if you show a commitment to one another financially, you you no longer have separate bank accounts, but you then intermingle your finances. Conversely, there have been people who have had, who have lived together for more than two years. However, the question often arises, what does live together mean? There was some, there's been some cases recently over the last 10 years where 
people never live together. And what they do is they quite often stay over at people's houses, which may ring a bell to a lot of your listeners um, because that's what a lot of people do. And in those circumstances, how do you know when someone's in a de facto relationship? Yeah, so my partner and I have been together for two years. We've only lived together for the last six months. But the first year and a half, I basically lived at his house anyway. So, like, would that be considered a de facto? Like, to what extent would I have to have paid for bills for us to be in a de facto relationship? Well, living together is only one element of it. Um, What we'd look at as lawyers and what judicial officers look at is to what extent you are no longer living separately. And living doesn't just simply mean your residential arrangements, but looks at your finances, who is paying bills, um, who is paying rent, whether that was a joint expense, um, whether you're st- staying in the same bedroom, um, and whether you, when you went out to dinner, you both paid equally or you both, one person paid for the other person. So it's not, living together doesn't strictly refer to staying in the same home, but it really just depends on how you go about living your life. It's interesting, I didn't know that. Would it be like groceries as well? Like who paid for groceries that we're all eating? Like I think if you get down to the technical element of it, then that's potentially right. Mm-hmm. But to get down to that level of detail would be quite quite rare. But if you're disputing a de facto relationship, I've, I've had cases and I've read cases where people go into so much detail that who pays for what is, is often a question that's the subject of court material. Um, and as I said, the threshold is generally two years living together or cohabitating together. What I then look at is if there is a dispute, as a family lawyer and as a lot of judges, a lot of barristers look at, uh, to what extent was your lifestyle intermingled? I know that's probably a bit of a roundabout way of answering your question, but it's not clear cut. Um, And as everything in the law, most things are a different shade of grey. And earlier you said that de facto relationships have legal implications. What do you mean by that? And why is de facto something that people need to keep in mind? Well, de facto is similar to marriage. You've got, as soon as you are legally considered to be in a de facto relationship, that's when the provisions of the Family Law Act start to apply, which means that financially speaking, that's when you have to look at dividing your finances. It becomes important to consider who brought in what into the relationship. De facto relationships is generally the starting point for working out whether there is a claim, a financial claim against the other person or in the relationship. So going right back, it really only matters if you have a dispute and you want to break up. Yep, that's probably the simplest way to put it. But in a de facto relationship, say like my partner and I, I had more assets than he did. He has a claim to those assets if we were to break up once we're in a de facto relationship. Technically, you're probably right in one respect, but the common misconception is people think as soon as they hit that magic de facto mark that it's 50-50. Someone could have $500,000 in assets, someone could have nothing, but as soon as you hit two years, it becomes 50-50. That's a common misconception. Um, What happens is, and I'll talk you briefly about the way the law looks at these matters. So let's say you were to separate after two, three, four years, or even longer. Um, Your initial contribution, so what you brought into that relationship carry significant weight. So let's say someone brought in a property worth two or $300,000 and the other person brought in nothing. Um, that initial contribution will obviously work tremendously in their favor. Tr- initial contributions do deteriorate over time. So let's say people ended up having a 20 or 30 year relationship. The value of what you brought in at the start of the relationship is no longer particularly relevant. But in a short relationship, so let's say in a relationship which can be five years less, 10 years less, a medium-term relationship, then there really is scope to give what you bring into that relationship significant weight. 
And that's what the law looks at. Um, your initial contributions are considered by the law. So when you do when you do enter into a relationship, don't be worried that uh, we're heading up to our two-year anniversary. As soon as we clock into that 24-month mark, you're entitled to 50% of my assets because that's it, it's 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 a ma- it's not a magic. It doesn't work simply quite as simply as that. I'll be honest, as soon as I heard about what a de facto relationship is, I was like, how can I get out of it? <laughs> like, I trust my partner, love him to death, but I want my own stuff. <laughs> is there a way that you can get out of de facto relationships? Can you avoid them or can you agree with your partner not to be in them? Well, I guess the short answer is you break up with your partner. Uh, <laughs> just before two years? That, that's one way to... to <laughs> I've just missed it. <laughs> that's one way to enter a de facto... That's one way to exit a de facto relationship is to no longer have a partner. But no, the way that I encourage people to look at things, I don't, I don't encourage people to, to think about things strictly legally. That's the job of lawyers and that's the job of lawyers, judges and barristers alike. Um, when you're in a relationship, not a lot of people will think about that two-year mark. Um, not a lot of people will think about... Oh, we're heading up to our two-year anniversary. They can take me for everything I've got. Um, the short answer is there's no real easy way to get out of a de facto relationship rather than other than pull the pin on the relationship altogether. What is a interesting point, though, is a de facto relationship can be, I guess, a bit messy in one sense if you don't live together. So there have been situations where there have been cases about billionaires who have had mistresses on the side um, those mistresses have later claimed to be in a de facto relationship because you can be married and you can be in a de facto relationship. But what you cannot be is you cannot be married to two people. So what is a de facto relationship is a question which, um, there, as I said, there's been thousands of decisions written about. Um, and it can be quite quite interesting when you delve into people's lifestyles. There was one case I recall, and I can't recall the exact details, but some people can be considered a mistress and not a de facto and this, this obviously, this, this applies to those billionaire philanthropists who travel the world um, and c- can get up to c- certain certain things. Um, people... No good. No good. No, <laughs> get up to no good. <laughs> get up to no good. And um, all of a sudden they've got a claim against them for a de facto relationship. In those circumstances, you really do need to look at the details. And I encourage... If you, if you ever are concerned as to whether you're in a de facto relationship or not, before considering whether to divide your assets at the end of that relationship, seek legal advice because people will, because lawyers will need to know the ins and outs of your particular circumstances. There are also other ways to protect yourself. Effectively be living together but having two separate lives. So, in essence, have maintained separate bank accounts. Um, one person pays for... If one person brought in a property, then they pay, continue to pay the mortgage on that property. They continue to pay all outgoings in relation to that property. And the other person pay, not rent as such, but meet, meet general living expenses. Again, it's a case-by-case basis. And those, these things change. As soon as you have children, these, the, the parameters change even further. And depending on your incomes, if you're both on relatively similar incomes, that's no, not really possible for one person to meet the expenses and the other person not. not. So... And especially if people have businesses. As I said, this, this, it's not something which I encourage people to consciously think about before entering a relationship, but let, let the relationship run its course. Well, that's a good segue to my next question, which is would you recommend or what would you recommend for young people prior to moving in with their partners? If Yeah, so that's a good question. Um, and if I, I see a lot of young people, I see a lot of people aged between 28 to 35 who have separated 
and it's not a criticism of anyone, the biggest mistake that I see are people don't know what they had at the start of the relationship. So people don't often know how much they had in their bank accounts. People don't know how much, what the rough value of their motor vehicle would be, or, or alternatively, what their superannuation is. Um, and I'm probably guilty as anyone. I still don't know what my superannuation is. Um, but I encourage I encourage people to get that information and even just email it to yourself, just so you know. Uh, it takes probably takes you half an hour to take those screenshots and just email it to yourself. Because depending on the length of the relationship, if you had twenty or $30,000 in your bank account, Fifty to sixty thousand dollars in superannuation. That's all going to be taken into consideration. The most costly and time-consuming task as a lawyer at the end of the process is getting people to trace that back. People are pretty good at that now with net banking and the records they've got. But it's so much easier if you're able to say that. Um, if you're able to just send yourself an email on this date and just say, "This is what I had, just roughly." You're listening to Meet, Pay, Love with Carmel and Zoe, where we talk all things money and relationships. We're going to pause here and hear a message from our sponsors. We should just quickly clarify, for the purposes of your role, what do you consider a short-term relationship? What do you consider mid-term and what do you consider long? That's the million-dollar question. Um, <laughs> no, it's it, not- se- it seems like family law is full of these questions. Yeah, yeah. Family law is like, mm, I'm not sure. <laughs> it yeah. depends. It depends. Yeah, I think, I think the law in general is all, all shades of grey. Loosely speaking, I would say five years' time, five years less is a short relationship. Anything less than 10 years you could prob- is probably considered medium term. Anything more than 10, you're probably heading into the long-term territory. But I will, will say this, in relation to family law and in relation to the law in general, it's not a science. It's really not a science. Everything's based on percentages um, and it's based on, you, you, would, you would be very surprised the situations people find themselves in. And that's not just in the way they manage their finances, that's in, just in the, that's in the way they manage their, their parenting and their children's arrangements. So that's why family law is not a science. Um, and there's lots of little things which can trigger a division either way. I heard a rumor and it might be incorrect, but can you be in a de facto relationship if you're not in a romantic or sexual relationship or is it only romantic relationships? It'd be an interesting de facto relationship if it wasn't a romantic Mm. or a sexual relationship, but that's a good question. I would say, look, I would say that one of the hallmarks and one of the, one of the, I guess, characteristics of a de facto relationship is that you are, I guess, sharing a, sharing a bed, sharing, sharing a life, sharing a life. Um, it's very difficult to be sharing a life. Romantic is a bit of a bit of a subjective word because one party could say that your relationship is romantic, and the other party may say it's not romantic. So romantic is a bit of a is a bit of a subjective word. I would say that you would have to be in a def- if you would have to have um, a level of love either way to be considered into to be considered a de facto relationship. But I've often had these arguments where, and again, going back to the fact that family law is all shades of grey, where people say that their relationship ended 10 years years ago Mm -hmm. um, when they've been living together for 10 years. Extraordinarily difficult to prove. It quite often happens, especially in the longer relationships, um, that, and this this applies with marriages as well, um, when you're trying to isolate a date of separation. Two people can be living together uh, 20 years, but they might say, 10 years ago, our relationship actually ended because we started sleeping in separate bedrooms. Um, we set, set up separate bank accounts, but it was just easier to stay in the same house. It, it makes the process a little bit more difficult because you have to try and if that's consented to, great, then you can go back and look at what the reality was at the time everyone says separation occurred. But if that's not conceded, then you have to try and prove that that's when you separated. 
Um, and it becomes, as, as you can imagine, you then have to go through people's lifestyles. Um, again, most of people don't even know when the start of their de facto relationship would be. Um, if you asked me, I would, I would remember because my partner, partner makes me remember, but, um, it's a lot of people just naturally fall into a relationship. Does she make you remember because you're both family lawyers or does she make you remember because it's like an anniversary? It's, it's, it's because it's an anniversary <laughs> okay. and she's ridiculously well organized. So, um, yeah, so a lot of people don't and people, will, people may find this, that when they're in a relationship, things just progress naturally. And then you're looking back to go, oh, when, when did that happen? What, what date was that? Um, so a lot of people can say, oh, look around about June or May or even September is probably when we're classified as living together, but it'll be around that block. Um, again, look, the hard, there's no hard and fast rule on this one, but when we look at the start of cohabitation, it's when you, when you started living together formally. So again, send yourself an email and say, Start start living together, and then that, that way you can find it in five or ten years time. Copy your partner in. Copy your partner. In. <laughs> CC. CC Pete. Well, quite often I've had cases where people go, they look through and they go, "Oh, that's my." I ordered a removalist on that date, so you're able to find it in your emails. Again, not the end of the world. Very rarely is that date contested. Very very rarely, and there's got to be a practical reality to this. Um, imagine if one person says you separated at the top of. January 2020, the other person says you separated in December 2020. Are you really going to spend years fighting about that? So the name of this episode is No Rings, Same Problem. So basically what we're trying to say is that even if you don't get married, because the trend to get married is changing. So as people of our generation um, are less likely to get married young, they're more likely to wait a little bit longer, maybe wait till they're financially stable enough that they can afford the wedding that they want, or maybe they don't see the point in getting yeah, married. Yeah, maybe they don't get married at all. I've got a lot of friends who are diving in to have kids before they get married or maybe just not getting married at all for financial reasons or, yeah, they just don't see the point. But basically, so even if it's two years, especially if they have kids and they don't see the point in getting married, they've basically got a de facto relationship which is essentially – Similar, same, same, the same? same legal rights to marriage. Yeah, the yeah. same legal rights. Okay. Is there any time, like, say, if you had your own kids and you were imparting wisdom on them, is there any time where you'd recommend them getting married at all? Or I think marriage is an emotional choice, and for for a lot of people, it's a natural progression of a relationship. But for a lot of people, especially young people these days, it's just not necessary. Um, that's an emotional choice, and that's why the law brought in the concept of de facto relationships and the concept of marriage. I mean, you see it across all areas of law. You see it across migration law. You see it across, I'm sure you have similar rights in um, property and commercial transactions as well. Um, But it's an emotional choice. Marriage is an emotional choice. Uh, But the law is designed to protect people who choose not to get married and live a similar relationship. Hmm. Yeah, it's more of a personal choice. There's really no need to get married anymore. The only thing that that obviously applies if you get married, um, you need to get officially divorced. Um, and official divorce is paperwork. It's not. It's separate from a financial settlement. Uh, but obviously, if you're a de facto relationship, when you walk away, you're, that relationship ends. And and um, of your younger clients, perhaps the ones 35 and under, would that percentage change? No, I, I still think a lot of young people choosing to get married may just be taking a longer time to get there. Um, and that's because people have got outside commitments like work commitments. Um, people are no longer feeling the pressure to necessarily have kids at the age of 25, 26, 27. Um, 
And again, people are living longer, so people have got more time to do things. Thank you so much, Sapi, for coming in and talking to us today. I've, I definitely feel a lot clearer on what is a de facto relationship and what I can do. Um, it's quite comforting to know that what you really need to do is to make life easier for yourself, keep timestamps, so send yourself an email. Future letters. It's like in year seven when we all had to write letters to our future selves. <laughs> do that. Yeah, so you send yourself an email and I, I like that. It's good practical advice. And I want to just touch on the fact that although Sapi at the start of the interview did say boyfriend and girlfriend, I think that de facto, the concept of de facto relationships applies to all kinds of different relationships. Any romantic relationship. Any romantic relationship, same sex. Polyamorous. Polyamorous. The list goes on. And even if you're not in a relationship at all and you are single, I think it's really important to self-educate on okay, I want to buy a house, but I don't know if I'm going to then be in a relationship down the track. And I don't know if I want to hold off on purchasing assets. Well, it's comforting, I suppose, to know that initial contributions are strongly taken into account. Yeah, it's not that magic 50-50 split that I thought a de facto relationship was. And I'm pretty sure Jake and Wendy said it in there um, when they were asking us the questions, they thought it was a 50, 50 split and they also didn't know what the certain time was, but it's two years apparently, which doesn't feel like a long time to me. Or unless you have kids, it triggers earlier. I suppose the other interesting thing that he said was about mistresses, like go girl, if you're in a sugar daddy relationship and you're a mistress, reach out to us. Cause we want to know <laughs> if it's been going on for longer than two years, you may have a claim. So you seek out Sapia or come to us. Oh God, I want to hear about this. <laughs> I want to fight for you, girl. <laughs> the other thing that's interesting is the issue of getting married or not getting married. Um, I have some stats on this. So the Hilda study in Melbourne has said that it's becoming more and more likely that in a relationship that the two parties are going to be dual earners, which means that both parties are working and earning, which... It didn't used to be like that. It used to be more likely that just one party would be the earner. The other interesting thing is that there's been a decrease in the proportion of people who are legally married. And that doesn't mean that there's been a decline in partnering up generally, but that people are less likely to get married and more likely to enter into a de facto. Well, as Sapir said, marriage is a, an emotional choice. So you do it emotionally, but if it doesn't work out, you do have to do all the things of a de facto relationship and splitting up your assets, but you also have to divorce, which is another cost on top of splitting up all your assets. Yeah. So it actually costs more to get married and then end a marriage than it does to be a de facto and end a de facto. (laughs) And the other thing that's interesting about these Hilda stats is that of, and it's only a small percent, just shy of 3%, but of married couples and de facto couples you're more likely in a de facto couple to have a female breadwinner. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So I find that pretty interesting. That brings us to the conversation of our next episode. Next episode. Which is with Glenn Hare of Fox and Hare Financial Advisors Firm. And Glenn goes into the details of his relationship. He's hooked up with his personal trainer. They're in a serious relationship now. I'm so into that. (laughs) Which leads off nicely from de facto relationships because once you move in together, you might think about joining your bank accounts. The biggest mistake I see people make when it comes to managing their finances is they do nothing. 
they leave it to kind of to chance. So they're like, oh, I'll deal with that later. Or maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Like if I give kind of any words of wisdom or kind of closing remark, it's just do something. Thanks very much for tuning into our first episode. And as I said, please get in touch with us. You can email me at carmel at equitymates.com. Or you can email me, <laughs> Zoe at equitymates.com. We do have like the classic sibling rivalry. So we do uh, compare who emails into each of us and we do keep a tally and I hope that I get more emails. Yeah, but I'm friendlier. <laughs> <laughs> Follow us on Instagram. Yeah, so we've just started our own Instagram page. It's at meetpaylove and we will have – if you want to ask us any questions, please contact us through there because we will be on it. Or if you're an expert in the area of anywhere on the spectrum of relationships and money, we want to hear from you. And if you're passionate about a topic in this area that you think is not talked about enough, we want to hear your voice. Uh, thanks very much. Goodbye. Bye. This podcast proudly brought to you by Equity Mates Media. Always remember, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. For more information, head to our disclaimer page where you can find resources to search for a registered financial professional near you.